When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 238, and we are recording on June 30th. I'm Jen Northington, and I'm here with Amanda Nelson, and we're coming to you from Book Riot. Hello, Amanda. Hello, hello. Okay, I have to tell you this, because it literally just occurred to me as we were doing our count-in. If you're not familiar with how podcasting works, we have to count (laughs) in and clap to synchronize our tracks. And I just realized as we were doing it that I had a dream last night that we couldn't synchronize our claps, like that we were trying to record. (laughs) So if you ever wondered, like, how much podcasting Uh, invades your brain, that's how much. (laughs) And you deal with all of them. Jen manages, like, all of our however many, 10 bajillion podcasts. Is it 10? Is it 12? Who can say at this point? I'm not surprised that it, like, haunts your dreams. (laughs) Anyway, that's my story for this morning. <laughs> Woohoo! So welcome to the show. If you're new, here's how it works. We are, as I said at the top, a show for personalized reading recommendations, which means you can send us your questions for what you should read next, what you should get for a friend or a relative, maybe a book club, etc., etc., and we will do our best to find you a great next read. You can send those questions either via email, getbookedatbookriot.com, or you can put them in the form that's at the bottom of the show notes on the site for every episode. If you have a time-sensitive question, please put time-sensitive and then the date you're hoping to hear back by either in the subject line of the email or the very first line of the form. We'll do our best, but if we're not going to get to it on air, we might send you an email, so keep an eye out for those. All right, so we have some feedback from listeners for askers. So Wendy has a bunch of recommendations. The first are for Sam's Women Who Love Women mermaid request. Wendy recommends The Fate of Stars by S.D. Simper, The Mermaid, The Witch, and the Sea by Maggie Tokuda Hall, and A Fish Out of Water by Karen Callmaker. And then for Kathleen, who is looking for a Women Who Love Women single parent romance, I highly recommend Taste by Chris Bryant, and that's Chris with a K. And then for TL, looking for cute, cozy women love women books, Wendy recommends Three by Anne McMahon, Dust, which is a political mystery, Jericho, a small town romance, and Beowulf for Cretans, which, okay, side note, that is an amazing title. How have Mm -hmm. I not heard of that book before? (laughs) I'm going to have to look that up. Thank you so much for all of the recommendations. All right, so I am going to read our first question, and then we'll have a sponsor, and then we'll start with the recommending. First question is from Danielle, who says, I love to read books with a seasonal feel, cold and snowy in the winter, spooky in fall, etc. I would love a book for summer that feels sunny and hot, but the problem is all of my favorite books are dark or gothic. My favorite genres are fantasy, mystery, and gothic, but I'm also open to lit fic and nonfiction. My favorite books of all time are the Diviner series by Libba Bray, Lonesome Dove, The Thirteenth Tale, Rebecca, The Night Circus, Anything Tana French, The Queen of the Night, and The Secret History. So basically all of our get booked favorites. Good job. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, <laughs> let's take a moment for a sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Greenleaf Book Group. 
No summer vacation should be without a great read. And I don't know about you, but I am partial to mysteries and thrillers for my hot month reads. It's hot girl reading summer always over here. And from the award-winning librettist of Legally Blonde, the musical and the screenwriter of Freaky Friday, Heather Hawk, comes the page-turning psychological thriller, The Trouble with Drowning. So when author Eden Hart floats into Tucson's Antigone books and all her dazzling perfection to give a reading, Kat, a struggling writer, can't help but compare herself. Thankfully, Kat's life starts to take on its own Eden-like glow when her literary future takes shape and she falls madly in love with Jacob. As demons from her past begin to surface, Kat's mental health craters and this halcyon dream slips through her fingers. For the fastest paced slow burn you won't be able to put down, be sure to check out The Trouble with Drowning by Heather Hawk on Amazon or your retailer of choice. And thanks again to Greenleaf Book Group for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Sourcebooks Landmark. So King Solomon says something very interesting to his son before he dies, and that is, quote, don't let the white man take the house, end quote. These, as I just mentioned, are King Solomon's last words to his son as he dies. Now, all four Solomon siblings must return to North Carolina to save the kingdom, their ancestral home, and 200 acres of land from a development company. Told in alternating viewpoints, Long After We Are Gone by Tara Shelton Harris is a searing portrait of the power of family and letting go of things that no longer serve you, exploring the burden of familial expectations, the detriment of miscommunication, and the lessons and legacies we pass on to our children. It's an explosive and emotional story of four siblings, each fighting their own personal battle, because who isn't, who return home in the wake of their father's death. Make sure to check out Long After We Are Gone by Tara Shelton Harris. And thanks again to Sourcebooks Landmark for sponsoring this episode. All right, Amanda, what is your summer feeling book recommendation? (laughs) Okay, I picked Bitter Orange by Claire Fuller, which is a historical fiction mystery thriller that takes place in the 60s in England in a um, like dilapidated country estate. And I picked it because it has like it has big secret history energy, but in the summer and these are adults. So like not college students. Um, But when the book opens, it's present day and you're with the main character, Frances, as an elderly woman. She's in some kind of institution and you can't figure out from the jump if it's like a prison or a mental hospital or a normal hospital. Like you don't know, but you know that she's like in some kind of institution and that she's being watched over by people who are not letting her leave. And so she's flashing back to the summer of 1969 where she worked as an architect for outdoor spaces like follies I think that they're called like those outdoor architectural features on estates basically and so she's been hired by the owner of this uh, estate called Linton's to uh, do a survey of the like kind of crumbling outdoor architecture architectural features and then make a plan to restore them and so she's living in the house doing this on the floor beneath her is living a couple named Kara and Peter who are doing a similar job to the interior of the house I think Peter is an architect or like an interior designer or something and who is doing a survey of the home which is falling apart for the new owner who's an American and then the three of them together will have you know come at the end of the summer come together with a plan for restoring the entirety of the estate 
Kara and Peter are very glamorous and are like drunk 95% of the time, <laughs> smoking cigarettes and like putting them out on the furniture, which seems kind of counter to their whole job and purpose of being there. And Francis is a very introverted person with a kind of traumatic past that you get to as the book goes on. And she doesn't know what to do with these people. And she eventually gets really like brought into their orbit. And obviously, because, like, you know, they're stuck in this house together. So she's brought into their orbit. She gets more and more involved in their lives. And you realize more and more that their problems are kind of banana pants. And so, but then she can't escape. And then someone does a crime. Crime happens. <laughs> um, and, you know, with the secret history comp, you can kind of probably guess. But I'm not going to tell you who. So a crime happens. And it's all set in this very sweaty kind of summer. Like, it's very atmospheric. It's very, like, picnics and sweat dripping down backs and, like, ice making sweat. If the word sweat is used a lot. It just feels very oppressive. And that, like, blinding, oppressive heat of an English summer is its own character in this in this book. So it combines, I think, in a really interesting way that, like, very kind of dark, gothic feeling that the secret history has with, like, an almost irrational crime that's committed that doesn't make any sense until you get into the backstory of the characters combined with this really hot kind of... It feels like the opening scenes of Atonement, you know, that, like, summer, that, like, I'm going to get into this fountain kind of ugh, heat. So that's Bitter Orange by Claire Fuller. All right, y'all, please don't hate me. I never, <laughs> I never do this, but I just couldn't resist in this instance. My pick is actually not out until September, but it's too perfect to not recommend. And I don't know where y'all live, but here in September, it is usually still really freaking hot. So I feel like it is fine. It's fine. Mm. I've decided it's fine. <laughs> My pick is Each of Us a Desert by Marco Shiro, and it does come with trigger warnings for an abusive parent and graphic violence. This book is a desert book. So like when you talk about hot heat, like it's you're walking through the desert, you've got to find water, you've got to find shade, or you'll die. Like what could be more summer heat feeling than that? And the main character, whose name I looked up, by the way, and hope I am pronouncing correctly, but I've, there were a couple of different pronunciation options, so I'm just going with the one that I hope is correct for this book. Uh, the main character, Sochiel, is a teenager-ish, I think, but, you know. Anyway, she lives in a small village where she has this special power to take other people's like deep, dark secrets and, you know, remove them from that person, sort of like a sin eater situation, mm. and then return them to the land because in this like sort of post-catastrophe, environmentally ravaged world, if people hang on to those dark secrets for too long, they start to manifest into demonic beings that will then like attack people. And so obviously that can't happen. So each village is organized around a quintista is what they're called, who takes those dark secrets and sins and returns them to the land before they can manifest. And she has been raised to like believe that her job is to shoulder all of these burdens for her community at whatever cost to her. And then this like violent sort of raider guy and his crew come into town. They take over the water. They like are, you know, abusive to the villagers and something terrible happens. And in the midst of all this, Zoe finds herself sort of starting to question what she knows about herself and 
what she's been told about her powers because she starts to realize that things are not what they seem. So she goes on this epic quest and she is reluctantly accompanied by this raider's daughter. And it is such an interesting world to roll around in. It's also the first desert book that I have ever read that's actually inspired by the Americas and the American deserts, like North and South American deserts, rather than, you know, like the Middle East or Africa or, you know, parts elsewhere. So I just think that's super interesting. Like, I, it's so fascinating to me that there's not more fantasy and sci-fi set in an America's desert. So that's super cool. And the book is just so good. The desert is absolutely a character in both good and bad ways. And, I, you know, Marco Shiro is a great author, and I'm really excited for this new book from them. So again, that is Each of Us a Desert by Marco Shiro. Comes out in September. Don't hate me. Pre-order it now. <laughs> it's really good. All right. Question two is from Gigi, who says, My brother is a teenager, but is only now just starting to get into reading. He enjoys anything action-packed, historical, logical, or science fiction, as long as the book is exciting and keeps him engaged and is not too long. He's 16 and grew up on Percy Jackson, but hasn't read much else from then on. Okay, I picked The Luminous Dead by Caitlin Starling, which is super, super action-packed and very engaging. It's a bit long. It's over 400 pages, but I read it in one day because, like... 6 a.m. to 8 p.m. Like, just sit down, could not stop. It takes place on some, like, I think it's an unnamed planet. It's obviously not Earth. And the main character's name is Gear or Gyre. It's G-Y-R-E. I don't know. I'm going with Gear. And she is, has lied her way into a mining expedition. So this planet is covered in these really, really deep caves. And you can get a pretty good job as uh, a cave diver going down and like mining for companies who are looking for, you know, natural resources, whatever. So she lies her way into an expedition that comes with a giant paycheck and is very dangerous. She'll be underground several miles for several months. It's just her. So she'll have no team except her manager her surface team, who is supposed to, you know, like monitor her vitals and make sure she's eating and give her instructions and all of that kind of stuff. But when she gets into the cave and realizes that she doesn't have a surface team, she has one surface manager whose name is M, who never sleeps and who has no problem taking control of her suit. So Gear has a suit, obviously, that controls her vitals and like a little port she can feed herself through and like controls her body temperature and all that and her and m will like fill her full of drugs when she wants like give her an adrenaline shot when she wants her to wake up so gear is trapped under the ground with no control of her body and then the deeper she goes the more she realizes that like the story she was told about what she was doing on this mission is completely wrong and she starts finding bodies and then she starts finding like her supplies are missing and then it's like is somebody down here with me and she's totally totally trapped if you were the kind of person who was like fine with claustrophobia like closed spaces being stuck in the dark that kind of thing then you'll be fine reading this which and it didn't bother me but if you're claustrophobic i would maybe give it a skip because she is under the earth for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks Bonus, there are on this planet are like dune style worms, like giant under, underground, you know, worms, because all worms are underground. Or wait, are they? I don't know. doesn't matter. And they are often responsible for the deaths of miners because they cause cave-ins and all of this kind of thing. So she has to avoid those as well. So there's like big beasties she has to avoid. She's got to figure out the mystery of like who M is and why she's on this mission to begin with. She can't get out because, well, for a lot of reasons, but mostly having to do with like her supplies. By the time she decides she wants to leave, she doesn't have enough food to make it to like go back the other way. So it's like this whole big, complicated, almost like game of cat and mouse with a person who knows exactly where where you are all the time, which is like 
super weird. Also, it's very gay, which I'm very into. So that's The Luminous Dead by Caitlin Starling. I also picked a super action-packed book. It is called Zero Sum Game. It's by S.L. Huang, and it's the first in a trilogy, all of which are out as of this year. So if he likes it, he has more. And I picked it because it is science fiction, and the main character is extremely logical because basically math is her superpower. Her name is Cass, and she is like good enough at math that she can dodge bullets because she understands like trajectories and vectors and like, you know, can calculate in an instant where every bullet is going to go or like where she needs to shoot to make whatever happen. And it's basically a superpower. And she is using it for like, you know, jobs for hire. And she's mostly just trying to keep her head down and keep herself busy because the problem is, is that if she is idle for too long, if she's not just, you know, constantly in motion, basically, or drunk, her brain starts to like eat itself like because it just she just can't stop thinking and she gets, you know, more and more sucked into, you know, these spirally thoughts and can't really control her brain anymore. So it's important for her to stay busy. And she gets this job to retrieve someone from a drug cartel. This is set in like like California? Yeah, California. She gets this job to go down over the border, retrieve someone from a drug cartel, and she starts to discover as she does this job that like that's maybe not exactly what she's been hired to do and the person she's retrieving is maybe not who they said it, she was and also she kind of doesn't know how she got this way like it's not normal in this world for people to have this kind of superpower and her past is a closed book she does not know a lot about her past and she kind of doesn't want to know because anytime she tries to remember bad things happen inside of her brain and you know this job that she's on starts to threaten to reveal things that she's maybe not ready to know about how she got this way and who she is. And so it all just kind of like spirals out from there. The action sequences are amazing in part because the author has been a stunt person, a stunt woman, which is amazing. And it's like a sword expert. It's so cool. And also a math expert. So there's really interesting things going on in the book that I think will really grab. They're very attention grabbing. They're very enjoyable. And it does have a sense of humor. It's definitely not as like silly funny as the Percy Jackson books, but it is a f really fun read. And again, so action packed. It's not that short. It's like 300 some odd pages, but it reads really fast. So I think it was is definitely a good option. So again, that's Zero Sum Game by S.L. Huang, which is the first in the Cass Russell series. Okay, our next question is from Allison, who says, I would like a YA book based on the dance world. I've read some nonfiction, but I would really like a fiction book. I've been dancing for 13 years, and right now I'm dancing primarily ballet and point. I do not want a drama-filled cliche book like Dance Moms, just something where dance is a huge part of the main character's life and is really good. Amanda, what do you got? Okay, this one does have a lot of drama, but it's not dance mom drama, so it's murder drama, which is <laughs> an entirely different kind of kind of thing. So I picked The Walls Around Us by Nova Rensuma, which is a YA novel about ballerinas. And you get like three, I would say, main characters, two POV characters, Amber, who is locked up in a juvenile detention facility. And when the book opens, there's like a, a, like a breakout almost, like the, the prisoners are trying to escape, except for Amber, she's staying. And then Violet and Oriana, who are two friends who are ballerinas. They're both very much in competition with each other. And Violet is, is like right on the cusp of making her career. Like she's 18. 
you know, about to go on to really big and impressive things. And Oriana is a little bit in her shadow, but is also herself very talented. And then there is a brutal murder and Oriana is convicted of the crime and is sent to the facility where um, Amber is. And so you get uh, all of the, you get the perspective of Violet, um, the, you know, super talented dancer who's about to be famous, and Amber. And then Ori kind of, her nickname is Ori, kind of floats between the two of them and you, you're really finding out what happened to her. And of course, dance is a huge part of the book. But like, I can't, this is a weird one to talk about on a podcast because any more details about the plot are spoilers, like 100%. So I don't want to, don't want to, you know, give you more details, but it is creepy. And obviously there is a murder. So there's a bit of a mystery there. It's got lots of twists uh, and a lot of ballet, um, like terminology and references to point and different like techniques and things. I had to Google a few things, but obviously for you, that's not going to like be an issue, but it is very heavy on the ballet content. <laughs> so that's The Walls Around Us by Nova Rensuma. I love that book also. Mm -hmm. It's so great. I picked A Time to Dance by Padma Venkatraman, and it is about a young girl who is like a classical dance prodigy in India. Her name is Veda, and she just lives and breathes dance. And then she gets in an accident that causes her to have an amputation. So she becomes a baloney amputee and feels like, you know, this is it. Like her dance career is over. Her life is over because her life is dance. Like, what is she going to do now? And the book is about her trying to figure out, like, how to move forward as both a person and a dancer with her new situation. And, like, there's a love interest and all of that good stuff. This is from my TBR. I've had it on my radar for a while. It sounds amazing. And I double checked and the book has been reviewed by other amputees. Um, the author is not an amputee. And the book has been reviewed by amputees who said, like, clearly she did her research. Like, this is a really good depiction. And also it's been reviewed by dancers who are just like, this is amazing. <laughs> um, and it's also about Indian dance, Indian classical dance, which I thought might be really interesting for you because, you know, you already know all about ballet. Like, maybe it would be cool to learn about a different style of dance and also like it, there's so much good like YouTube and Bollywood videos of this style of dance like I highly recommend falling down that rabbit hole it's a personal favorite thing of mine to watch these different uh, Indian classical styles so I thought this might be an interesting you know window for you into other styles of dance and also just a great story so again that's A Time to Dance by Padma Vedankatraman all right. Our next question is from Bex, who says, I've recently been reading a lot of middle grade books. I find they're just the mood I want for this lockdown, and it's helped me clear my backlog. My favorite was Orion Lost by Alistair Chisholm. It features all the elements of sci-fi I love, a bit of peril, a lot of space travel, and a view of a positive future. It reminded me of Heinlein's Juveniles Without the Sexism, Becky Chambers, and K.A. Applegate's Remnant Chronicles. I'm looking for more middle grade that is proper sci-fi. Please help me find something that's not an earthbound dystopian future that seems to be all that comes up in searches. I've got drag and Pearl by Yunha Lee on order, but need more. Okay, I picked We're Not From Here by Jeff Rodkey, which is a bit, just a little bit dystopian, a little bit, I, maybe more post-apocalyptic, but it's not Earthbound, so I feel like it's okay. And so in this like near future, Earth has been, bleh, Earth is no more. We're not living on Earth anymore. People are living on Mars for almost like a year, trying to colonize the moon, trying to colonize other planets uh, to save humanity, but it's not working out so much. And then humanity discovers the planet Choom, C-H-O-O-M, which has four 
species who live on it who were like super chill, like very welcoming to humanity. Please come here. We will help you. Obviously, you don't know what you're doing. Pat, 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 you know, like very paternalistic. Um, and we will give you a place to live and, and kind of restart your species. It'll take 20 years in biosuspension for humans to get there. But when they show up, the government of this planet has changed and it's been taken over by the jury, which is a species that looks basically like giant mosquitoes and they are not into people, like not so much with the humans. They very much feel like humans are too violent to be allowed to live on their planet and they're just like not having it. And so Lan, who's the main character and his family are told, like, if you can be on this planet and convince the jury that humans are worth rescuing, they will let the rest of us stay. So it kind of becomes up to this kid to convince this species of very like conservative, xenophobic, really into border walls, you know what I'm saying, kind of (laughs) species that humans are worth, despite everything that they have done in their past, are worth investing in and welcoming and giving, giving another chance. The like mosquito aliens, they're not aliens actually in this, you know, the humans are the aliens, but the the giant mosquitoes are very humorless. Like they're so interestingly done because they really they're things that the things they don't like that people do are so rare. Like they don't like singing, they don't like jokes. The main character gets sent to the principal's office uh, for telling a joke <laughs> that they think is like disrespectful. They are very much not into the into like demonstrative emotions. So, you know, humans just completely baffle them. But this kid having to like be responsible for the salvation of humanity and he might mess it up by like telling a knock-knock joke one too many times. It seems <laughs> very heavy, but it's actually really cute and funny and sweet. And it's got a lot of that, you know, like kind of old school sci-fi. Like it reminds me a bit of an H.G. Wells kind of novel with like big aliens that look really weird and are here to destroy people, you know, that kind of thing. So I think that you would get a kick out of it. So that's We're Not From Here by Jeff Rodkey. Being of getting sent to the principal's office. <laughs> <laughs> My pick for you is Sal and Gabby Break the Universe by Carlos Hernandez. And it, in fact, opens with the two characters meeting because they are in the principal's office. Sal is sort of the, like, joker of the school, is always getting in trouble. This is his third time in the principal's office in three days, and it's only the first week of school kind of thing. And then Gabby is, like, straight-A student, student council president, editor of the school paper, all of that. And she's there because a friend has picked a fight with Sal because there was a raw chicken in the locker and nobody saw him do it, but they think it was him, et cetera, et cetera. And the reason I picked this book for you is because it is full of science, but like twisted into super fun ways. So like Sal's father is a physicist. And, you know, he and his, like, not exactly human assistant are building, like, wacky machines in the living room. And Sal, you know, is, like, known to be a sleight of hand magician, but actually he has, like, powers that are about, you know, quantum theory and parallel universes and all of that kind of stuff. And it is all about, like, taking these sort of scientific principles and then making them as wacky and fun as possible. This book has been on my TBR for a while. I'm still waiting for my hold. But I'm so excited about this series because I also love, like, scientifically grounded but, like, make it funny situations. And I think that seems to be exactly what you are in the mood for. So again, that is Sal and Gabby Break the Universe by Carlos Hernandez. Oh, and it's the first in a series. Okay, let us take another sponsor break. Today's episode is brought to you by Avid Reader Press. 
So this next book is a really fun sounding mashup of different genres. There's a little time travel, a little romance, a little spy thriller action going on. So in the near future, a civil servant is offered the salary of her dreams and is shortly afterward told what project she'll be working on. A recently established government ministry is gathering quote unquote expats from across history to establish whether time travel is feasible for the body, but also for the fabric of space time. This is an exquisitely original and feverishly fun fusion of genres and ideas. The Ministry of Time by Colleen Bradley asks, what does it mean to defy history when history is living in your house? Colleen Bradley's answer is a blazing, unforgettable testament to what we owe each other in a changing world. It kind of gives Outlander meets Cloud Atlas or If the Time Traveler's Rife was written by Sally Rooney or Colson Whitehead. Make sure to check out The Ministry of Time by Colleen Bradley. And thanks again to Avid Reader Press for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Gallery Books. So Anna Green thought she was marrying Liam West for access to subsidized family housing while at UCLA, which is an interesting reason to marry someone, but you know, in this economy. So anyway, she signed divorce papers when the graduation caps were tossed and she thought she was done. Eh, she wasn't. Three years later, Anna is a starving artist living paycheck to paycheck while West is a Stanford professor. Now he is part of a conglomerate. His family owns this mega grocery store chain. He's not interested in working for them, but he is interested in those greenbacks, honey, that come in the form of a $100 million inheritance. To get it, he has to be married for five years. That's where our girl Anna comes back into play. So the two will fake a marriage, but as he gets to know her and gets to appreciate the feisty, foul mouth, paint splattered girl that she is, he'll begin to wonder if the money is worth the love of his life. Pick up The Paradise Problem by Christina Lauren to find out if it is. And thanks again to Gallery Books for sponsoring this episode. All right. Question five is from Kim and is very short. It says mm-hmm. something to escape into fantasy, fairy tale, folklore, time slippage. Amanda, what did you pick for this? I picked Conjure Women by Afia Atakora. And this is very folklore And that's why I picked it. And it has a little bit of it. Man, like, OK, I'll explain when I get into it. So this is historical fiction. It takes place right after the end of the Civil War in the American South. I don't think it tells you which state exactly, but you're on a plantation and then it bounces back and forth between that present day, like the present day of the book, right after the war, the the years after it. And then during the war, you get flashbacks of that. And then you get flashbacks of the time before the war. The main character's name is Rue. And she is raised by the conjure woman, the healer, the um, herbalist, the midwife who takes care of all of the enslaved people on this plantation. And because of that, because she has kind of an elevated sort of status amongst all the enslaved people, she's given her own cabin. She's allowed to pick the person she wants to have a baby with. And so she has Rue. And so Rue is raised to be, to take on this job after her mother is gone. And she learns all of those skills, you know, like what herbs to use to heal what. She learns how to be a midwife. And she's raised as a slave, but she is also like, oh, it's so weird, like awkward and awful, like allowed, I'm using air quotes here, to be friends with Verina, who is the white daughter of the person 
who owns the plantation. So they kind of grow up together. Like they're the same age. Her mother, Rue's mother is constantly warning her like she's not your friend. This is not going to end well for you. You need to stay away from her. But Rue kind of like doesn't see the harm in it until they get older and Verena starts exercising her like uh, privilege, whatever, um, on Rue in ways that like are horrifying to Rue. And then so that's before the war. Then the war comes and obviously the South loses. All the white people on the plantation go away or die or whatever. And so the newly freed population of enslaved people on the plantation decide to stay. And Rue sets up this series of really heavy stakes lies that I'm not going to tell you about because they're spoilers. But she sets up this series of lies that she tells everyone who lives in the community and other people that allow these people to stay there because she and they do not trust this like, quote unquote, freedom that has been given to them by white people. And they would rather just continue living their lives and making choices and easing into it and like building a community that they want to have with people who they're already used to being around. So they stay and years pass, right? Like years go by. She's a midwife. She like gives birth or she helps bring a bunch of kids into the world. And and then a white passing preacher shows up and starts giving them religion and telling them that she's a witch. He makes like these kind of miracles, whatever, again, air quotes, happen that starts bringing attention to the community, which is not great because Rue has told a bunch of lies to keep them safe from Reconstruction white people. And so it all kind of starts to fall apart. And the the like folklore maybe fantasy parts are that her mother, who is teaching her all of these skills, is also also does like hoodoo, you know, like she is the person people come to when they need curses, when they need magical protection. And sometimes, you know, the way that the book is told, you really can't tell if it's actual ma- like magic that she's doing or if it's like psychological or if they're if you're supposed to think that there's some kind of other explanation. It's like never outright explained, but it feels to me at least, maybe, you know, at readers I'm sure will interpret it differently, but to me it it felt like kind of magical realism. Like I couldn't see in in the narrative that I was being told by this author any explanation for what was happening other than magic. And so it's got that kind of mix of folklore. There's no time slippage or anything like that. And it's not a fairy tale, but there are definitely things going on that you're like, that could be that could be any number of them. Like that could be science or that could be she literally just cursed that guy. I don't know. Um it's very Oh, I forgot to give trigger warnings for this. Obviously, trigger warnings for slavery and uh, rape outside of the rape that occurs within slavery. It's brutal. It's a brutal book. And when I talked about this on Instagram, I kind of compared it a little bit to the Underground Railroad. It's set obviously in the same time period. And it has um, some of that fantastical kind of element like the Underground Railroad did, but it is brutal in that way. So if that's like a level of you know brutalization that you can't handle, that's like a good touch point for it. But it's so fast paced. It's really well told. And I just kind of love that it's mostly about women. <laughs> like, it's almost entirely, I don't think there there is not a male, really, main character in the book. So that's Conjure Women by Afia Atakora. I picked Unraveling by Karen Lord, which comes with a trigger warning for harm to children. And I picked this because two of the three main characters are literally like, are they gods or demigods? I can't remember. But they are supernatural beings, Chance and Trickster, who are brothers. And Chance and Trickster have been observing a series of murders happening in this city. It's just called the city, capital C. And the forensic therapist working on them, Miranda, has like just finished a court case. They've put a serial killer behind bars. They think they found the murderer and that it's all over now. 
But it turns out that, like, perhaps this killer wasn't working alone. Perhaps there were otherworldly influences involved in these murders, which are very grisly, but not they're not super graphically described. It's a little bit sort of gauzier, which is, you know, good if you're not mm. super into graphic descriptions of, like, maiming. It's not great. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, it's it's pretty, you know veiled, as it were. But anyway, Miranda is the forensic therapist, like I said, and she thinks this case is done with. And then she gets in a life-threatening accident. And while she's sort of in this mental limbo place because of the accident, she gets drawn into Chance and Trickster's investigation into what was really going on. And it's a really interesting read because, like, so much of this book happens in this mental space that's sort of running parallel to real time. And it's very sort of like, which space am I in right now? Like, am I in real time or am I in, you know, brain time? Like, sometimes you're kind of not sure. And it's super fascinating the way that Lord switches between all of these, like, you know, real time and myth time spaces. And the ways that she, you know, writes this very noir sort of murder mystery, but then gives it this really interesting rooting in the folklore of the Caribbean. Um, She herself is from Barbados, and all of her books, I think, reflect that background and that mythology in really interesting ways. But this one is the most sort of genre-bendy, which I love so much about it, because it is just such a strange and otherworldly feeling book at the same time that it is, you know, about crime and uh, hierarchies within, you know, cities and haves and have nots and why things are the way they are socially and how they could be changed. Like there's all these fascinating considerations in it and this very interesting thread of folklore woven into it at the same time. So it's it's really fascinating. It's really cool. It is a little bit dark, but I think it's like very well worth the read. Again, that's Unraveling by Karen Lord. Alrighty, our next question is from Georgia, who says, I've fallen in love with essay collections this year. They've all been thematically different, but written by female authors, beautiful writing, as well as interesting topics. I loved Constellations by Sinead Gleason, Axiomatic by Maria Tamarkin, Trick Mirror by Gia Tolentino, Make It Scream, Make It Burn by Leslie Jameson, and Thick by Tressie McMillan-Cottom. I would love to hear some further recommendations, not that keen on anything by straight white men. Alrighty, I picked My Time Among the Whites, Notes from an Unfinished Education by Janine Capo-Cruset. And this book I heard about, I think for the first time when she spoke at a university in Georgia, uh, I don't remember which one, and the white students were so like aghast at her perspective that they burned copies of her book. So I immediately went out and bought it (laughs) because that sounds like something I am here for. And so this is a kind of memoir collection of essays that reflects on her personal experience. She is a first-generation Cuban-American. Her parents are from Cuba. She grew up in Florida and is white-passing, but, like, depending on where she is, you know, which is something that I also relate to. Like, depending on who I'm around or, like, what state I'm in, I can be more or less white-passing. And so the collection of essays are about her experience in different states, like in Florida, in Nebraska, which is where she lives now, and in uh, upstate New York, where she goes to school, and how her ethnicity and the people around her mix differently, how people react differently to her being Cuban, depending on where she is. 
the different ways that white privilege um, stood in her way in a lot of different instances, specifically in academia. Like it's very, it's a lot about her experience as an academic. And this is all despite her family's really strong attempts to give her, you know, like the American dream. They named her after one of the winners of Miss America. They are like in this country to have the American dream. And she is just reflecting on the ways that she's completely shut out of that. And so is her family. And it's on purpose, right? Like it's not like accidental. It's not through anything or uh, that her family has done or has not done. It's just racism. And so I was not shocked to hear that idiotic white students at a college burned the book because she is very much talking about how universities are set up to admit and foster and nurture white people, but not anyone else. And it's it's a little bit enraging, like not a little bit. It's enraging, depending on how like mad you of a person you tend to be. I am very mad at the person most of the time. So it was uh, difficult to read for me just because, you know, it's just oh, I just want to throw stuff. But that's why it's important. So, yeah. And it, a lot of the books that you mentioned are dealing with concepts of race. So I think that this one will slot nicely into the selections that you said you really liked. So that's My Time Among the Whites, Notes from an Unfinished Education by Janine Capo-Cruset. I picked Beyonce in Formation by Omasike Natasha Tinsley because you are like the essays and then also, you know, I think uh, Gia Tolentino touches some on pop culture and social media. And I thought of this collection, which I love, because it is based on an undergraduate course that Tinsley taught. And it basically takes Beyonce's Lemonade album and video and, like, talks about race and feminism and queerness and all of these, you know, very interesting and intersectional issues in the context of each song on the album. It's so mm. cool. It's really fascinating. It's really interesting because, you know, Tinsley is a professor. She's an academic. And, you know, her specialty is African diaspora studies. And her perspective is so like she is clearly grounded in academia and theory, but she's such an accessible writer and she's funny and she's also like going really deep into a lot of these issues. And like, I love that, you know, I have both the like audio and visuals of Beyonce's Lemonade and then these essays to like unpack all of these different things related to those songs that I genuinely would never have thought about without having read this book. And, you know, learning things about the Black queer and feminist experience that I might not otherwise have learned. And it's just it's so readable. It's so good, y'all. Like, I love this book so much. It's just really, really fascinating. And I think it's, you know, totally a work that if you are into essay collections on issues like this, you need to you need to pick it up. So again, that's Beyonce in Formation. Subtitle is Remixing Black Feminism by Omisike Natasha Tinsley. All right. Our last question is from Kaz, who says, me and a friend are starting a book club. We're a group of disabled and chronically ill young people from the U.S. and the U.K., so books released in both is a must. Available in audio and on Kindle, also important for accessibility reasons. Nothing too long or hard to read and maybe older books, so they're also available secondhand or in libraries without huge hold lists. Disability representation is obviously important, but other diversities, especially LGBTQ+, would be great too. And personally, I'd quite like something with mental health or neurodiversity themes. Fiction and non-both okay, any and all genres. Books already on the list include Get a Life, Chloe Brown, and The Pretty One. Amanda, what you got? 
Okay, I picked Far From You by Tess Sharp, which comes with trigger warnings for homophobia and drug addiction. And I picked this for, it hits a lot of the points that you were asking for. It's available on audio. It's older. It came out in 2014, so you shouldn't have any problems finding it in a library. And it's on the shorter side. It's like 330 pages, I think. And it has bi-representation and also depression and chronic pain. So the two main characters, well, there's one, Sophie, and Mina is her best friend. Sophie was in a car accident before the book opens, and it left her severely injured and addicted to painkillers. She's got a go through some rehab to get over that, but she obviously it like stays with her. And then her best friend Mina, who dies in what everyone thinks is a drug deal gone wrong that they think Sophie set up. But Sophie knows that that is not what happened. So when the book opens, Sophie is back in rehab, even though she has not been using because of because of this crime. And Mina is dead. And she is deciding that like she's going to get out of rehab. She's going to find out what actually happened to Mina. And Sophie is bisexual. Her and Mina had a romantic relationship. And she knows that like Mina was murdered, but she doesn't know by who or for what reason. And so you're going back and forth in time to like the present when Sophie is getting out of rehab and is trying to figure out uh, or like solve this mystery of who killed her best friend to the past. And you're looking at like these really just like heartwarming vignettes of their relationship and how they really wanted like the best for each other and how Mina really helped Sophie overcome her addiction. And it's obvious that Sophie, you know, for like obvious reasons is dealing with depression in this present moment without like now that her friend is gone, but she's also still got all of these issues from before still with her. Like she still wants to be on pills. She's still got the chronic pain because she's not taking the medication for it. She has depression and anxiety. So if you like, I think that this is a good book club pick because it's very suspenseful. It's got a mystery to it. And in my experience, um, running a book club, those seem to be the most popular ones. Like the, the books that are the most engaging or like that hook you in are the ones that everyone will actually finish. And that is how you have like a productive conversation. They have to actually read the book. And so I think <laughs> mysteries and right, like it's it seems Shocker. real simple. But having everyone in a book club read a book is a lot harder it is. Than, it is. than it should be. But suspenseful books, uh, fast-paced mysteries, and those are all, you know, in my experience so far, have been surefire winners. So that's Far From You by Tess Sharp. <laughs> Real talk about book clubs. <laughs> Read the book! <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's funny because it's true. All right. My pick is actually a novella. It's like under 200 pages. It's So Lucky by Nicola Griffith. And this has uh, both chronic illness and lesbian representation, and it is own voices on both counts. And it is about a woman named Mara who is like a very like high-powered professional. She is the head of a huge AIDS foundation. She's a martial artist, and she's married, and, you know, her life is like seems pretty solid. And then in the course of basically, I think it's like a week or something, She's diagnosed with multiple sclerosis and her wife leaves her. And so she is having to completely reassess, you know, who she is because she has been so tied into her identity as, you know, able-bodied, as married, as, you know, a high-powered, like, ambitious, working person. And she can't do things the way she used to or the way she wants to. And so she's struggling to come to terms with her diagnosis. She's trying to figure out, like, what went wrong with her relationship. She's trying to figure out what's next for her professionally. And she's really trying to adapt to her new physical situation. And it's so... How do I want to describe it? It's like it's very raw, right? Because she's in the midst of this really intense 
life transitional moment. It's really interesting because she's also, you know, struggling with her, you know, mental health as anyone would given the situations. And that comes out in like some interestingly surreal ways that I still am like, because Nicola Griffith writes sci-fi and fantasy usually, and this is a very real world story, but there are these threads where I'm like, is that, like, is that, is that real or is that like surreal? Like, I don't know. And that makes it really interesting. And I think also is an interesting thing to talk about in a book group setting, like which pieces of this feel like, oh yeah, that's totally like real life. And which feels like, oh, is that a little more surreal? But her, like, you know, her physical situation and her relationship situation are all completely grounded in the real world. And I just loved the ending so much. It's so interesting. And I just, she's an amazing writer. She's such a good writer. And I, there's so, even though it's only, you know, a little under 200 pages, I do think there's so much to talk about here and uh, so many interesting plot points, as it were, to discuss. So, it is available. I checked US, UK, audio, ebook, etc. And it's from 2018. So hopefully you won't have too much trouble getting a hold of it. It's available from my library on Hoopla and audio. So hopefully that will be true for some of y'all as well. So again, that's So Lucky by Nicola Griffith. And that is our show. Wahoo! Thank you all for listening, as always. If you are so inclined and haven't done so already, feel free to leave a rating and or a review on Apple Podcasts. We do love to see the feedback, and it helps other folks to find the show. Thank you to our sponsors who make our show possible. And in between shows, you can find us on social media. Amanda, where are you? I'm on Instagram at I'm Amanda Nelson. And I am mostly on Instagram these days as I am Jen IRL, and that's spelled I-A-M-J-E-N-N-I-R-L. And we will talk to you next time. 